you were to summarise what the Bible is about in one sentence, what would you say? Surely it is the story of how God relentlessly works out his plan for the salvation of people. Since the beginning of creation, God was making himself known and then strategically using individuals to keep unfolding his salvation plan through the entire Bible and then down through history that has followed. And he's very deliberate in putting his people in places where they can make him known. Sometimes it might not feel like that for us. Now, I think sometimes the places that God sends us might seem too secular or too far from things of God, too hostile or maybe even too disinterested. And we have to really pray for how God could possibly even use us in those places, whether that be at our work or at uni, in our school communities, in our neighbourhoods, our families or wherever else we find ourselves among those who don't yet know God. Today we're commencing a series that we've simply called Praying Big Prayers. And it's about praying for those places where God sends us that he would open doors for us to make him known. We're going to look at different characters in scripture and how God uses them as they pray. Our hope in doing this series is that we would be encouraged that no matter who we are or where we are sent, that we would rise up in prayer and faith for the things that God could do in those places. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord God, I just pray that today as we look at a very familiar story, that your Holy Spirit would speak and would you bring fresh challenge, fresh inspiration through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're looking at the story of a 20-year-old guy who together with his three mates was sent to a people who neither believed nor acknowledged their God, Yahweh. The young adult is called Daniel. And when the book of Daniel was written, God's people in Judah and in the city of Jerusalem were surrounded by three pagan nations who were all jostling for position as the dominant world power. But it was the nation of Babylon that rose up. As the book of Daniel begins, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has sieged the city of Jerusalem where Daniel lives. This time, he would take a small band of hostages. In two subsequent attacks, he would take the majority of the population and he would ultimately decimate the city of Jerusalem itself. And so right at the beginning of the book of Daniel, Babylon, the greatest of human kingdoms, has pitted itself against the seemingly defeated kingdom of God. Into this scene came Daniel and his his friends, four young adults who were taken forcibly in that first siege. They, along with the other Israelites, were recruited into what was essentially an elite training program for the king's service in the very pagan nation of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to train Daniel and the other Israelites in Babylonian ways for political purposes, that they would be able to influence their home country of Judah with Babylon's agenda. So Daniel and his friends were put into what was essentially Babylonian boot camp. 
the idea was that they would train all the Jewishness out of these guys and that they would make them Babylonian. So they start by giving them new Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They also put them into three years of intensive training to teach them the culture and the language and the practices of Babylon. And of course, to truly embrace a culture, you have to embrace its food, right? And so, amazingly, these guys are assigned a daily amount of food and wine from the king's own table. Like, this would have been the best menu and the best wine list in the known world at that time. And that was going to be their diet. And so although they'd been taken forcibly, they were actually put into a place of incredible privilege. And the temptation would have been for them to just lap up that privilege and enjoy the benefits of their new situation. To leave their God behind and to blend in in Babylon. But instead... Daniel and his friends held on to this truth that they belonged to their God even in this place. They would find a way to be distinctive and they would pray for God to use them even in such an unlikely place as this. We're going to hear from Daniel 1, 8 to 21. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. 
in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You know, it's not obvious why Daniel took a stand with the food and wine. I mean, some suggest that maybe it was because it had been offered to Babylonian gods, but the vegetables probably had been too. Whatever the reason for fasting, we see that God honoured their decision and that they had the favour of God resting on them. But it's not only fasting. As the story unfolds, we see that Daniel and his friends are men of prayer And so in chapter 6, two kings after Nebuchadnezzar, King Darius issues a decree that no one was to pray to any god except himself for 30 days. I mean, there's a bit of ego, right? But we're told that when Daniel learned of this decree, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed giving thanks to his God. And the passage says, just as he had done before. It seems that Daniel has always had a rhythm of prayer. I mean, this wasn't something new. This is what Daniel always did. We also catch a glimpse of Daniel's prayer life in desperate moments when he absolutely needed God to show up, such as in Daniel 2 when Nebuchadnezzar ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon, including Daniel, and Daniel earnestly prays and God shows him what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know. And so, you know, Daniel not only has this regular rhythm of prayer, but we also see that Daniel, you know, has these desperate prayers at times as well. And, you know, God keeps showing up. You know, Daniel remained in the king's service for 66 years. He served three kings. And although they tried to make him Babylonian, Daniel would not let go of his God. He would not stop praying. And God used him to influence each of those three kings. Each of them experienced the power of Yahweh and turned to him. I'll let you read the details for how that happens. But for the first king, Nebuchadnezzar, it resulted in him falling prostrate before Daniel, declaring, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And he promoted Daniel, giving him influence over the entire province of Babylon. And at Daniel's request, his three friends were also appointed with him. For the second king, Belshazzar, Daniel is called in to interpret writing that has mysteriously appeared on the wall. The upshot is that Daniel is clothed in royal gear and he's promoted as the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then under the third king, Darius, he ends up issuing a decree that, and this is in chapter 6, that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. King Darius makes this confession. He says he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. I mean, understand that these are really big calls from the kings of the most powerful pagan nation on the planet at that time. 
You know, I reckon we read stories like Daniel where everything works out and, and God uses them powerfully. And perhaps we take for granted just how small and defeated Daniel must have felt when he was first taken as a political exile to Babylon. You know, I doubt that he would have arrived there believing that he was going to turn the kings of this nation to his God. And yet as Daniel keeps his eyes fixed on God and as he just faithfully keeps praying year after year, God positions him with favour and influence. But how easy would it have been for Daniel as a young 20-year-old to miss the fact that Babylon was the place where God had sent him and Babylon was the place where God was going to use him. I believe that it's easy for us to miss seeing the places where, where we live and go through the week as places where God has sent us for his purposes. You know, it's easy for us just to, to blend in and accept what is rather than pray for those people and pray for those places, believing that maybe, just maybe, God could use you and I to turn hearts around. And if you feel inadequate for that task, you're in good company. But it's never about who we are. It's who God is. And so it always starts with prayer. As a pastoral team, we feel really convicted that God is calling us as a PBC family to unite in prayer through November and December. Like Daniel, we are going to dare to believe that God could use us to make him known even in the most unlikely of places where we are sent. And so we are asking that every Tuesday you would pray for the places where God has sent you. Pray for a move of God. Pray as the Holy Spirit leads. Next week, we're going to send you out some more info about this call to prayer. If you're able, we also invite you to fast on those Tuesdays as well. Fasting is simply saying no to something that you would normally have or do in order to to use it as a prompt for us to pray. And so allow the Lord to lead you in what you might fast from. It could be caffeine, it could be social media or other media. You might fast from a meal or it might be something else. But the intent is that as we miss that thing, that we are then prompted to pray. Each Tuesday you might set aside a particular time for prayer or it may be that you just keep praying throughout the day in your sent place. You might pray alone Or like Daniel did at times, you might gather some mates and pray together. But just however you do it, the invitation for us right across PBC is to unite in prayer. That we wouldn't just see Daniel as a cool story that happened back then, but that we would have the faith to believe that God is still writing his salvation story and that as we pray, he will open opportunities for us in our sent places to make him known just invite you to pause at this point and just chat with people around you about where your sent places are. Where are the places or who are the people that God has sent you to who don't yet know him?
as I wrote this message, I was reminded of the story of a guy called Jeremiah Lanfear who also committed himself to pray. Lanfear was a businessman. He'd been working in New York, but he just had this growing heart that people would know God. But at that time across America, Christianity was in decline. America was in a time of material affluence and people weren't interested in the things of God. And so Lanfio had been appointed as a missionary. He was trying to share his faith, but he was seeing very little success. Finally, in 1857, Lanfia started a lunchtime prayer meeting and he just gave out some pamphlets to other businessmen and he invited them to come and pray that people would turn to God. And so on the day of the first meeting, Lanfia opened the door and he waited in the upstairs room. For 30 long minutes, nobody came. And then finally he heard someone climbing the stairs. Over the next few minutes, a few more came and there were six that gathered to pray that day. The following week, 15 came. The week after that, 30 to 40 came and they decided that rather than meet weekly in their their lunch hour, they would then meet daily. Every lunch hour they had, they would come together and they would pray. And the agenda was really simple. They prayed by name for the salvation of people they knew. Well, as it happened, a few weeks after that prayer meeting began, Wall Street crashed. Businesses went into bankruptcy. Banks failed. The railroad company went under. People lost their jobs. The nation was also gripped by um, tensions over slavery at that time and civil war was also looming. And perhaps it was the disruption to prosperity combined with this fervent prayer because people began turning to God. Within six months, that little prayer gathering had grown to over 10,000 people and other cities across the nation were also joining in. On March the 20th, 1858, just six months after that first prayer meeting, The New York Times reported, I mean, this is a secular newspaper, right? It reported on the growing wave of religious excitement. It said people were turning to God. It reported that churches are crowded and bank directors' rooms and schoolhouses have been turned into chapels. Converts were being numbered in the tens of thousands. Across America... We know from history that pastors were baptising 20,000 new converts a week, people who had turned to Christ for the first time. In Baptist churches, they didn't have enough room for the baptisms um, that they needed to conduct in their buildings, and so they went out to city lakes. This was the middle of winter, and they cut a hole through the ice in those lakes, and they were baptising people there. Like, that's commitment, right? Do you know, it all started with just a group of guys who weren't okay that people in their city were far from God, that Christianity was in decline, and who committed themselves to pray. There is power in prayer. There is power when people unite together in prayer. And so PBC family, 
Would you be willing to unite in prayer every Tuesday through November and December, daring to believe that if God could use the heart and prayer of Jeremiah Lanfear and his friends, and God would use the heart and prayers of Daniel and his friends, then maybe God could use the heart and prayers of Parramatta Baptist to see people turn to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, forgive us for just accepting that our city and our nation are growing increasingly secular and are far from you. Lord, stir our hearts to believe and pray for more. Oh Lord, I pray that we would learn what it means to be desperate for people to know the hope and truth of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, lead each of us in how we might shape our Tuesdays in order to earnestly pray. We ask for a move of God among the people and in the places where you've sent us. For the sake of your name, Lord God, and for your glory. And because you yearn yearn for those who are far from you. Amen.